I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome to the book show for this week. Uh, we finished off the poll in the Rick O'Shea Book Club of the Best Irish Books of 2019, voted for by the members. Kevin Barry's Nightboat Tangier finished fifth. Ronan Hessian's Leonard and Hungry Paul, a book I loved at four. Three, Sinead Gleeson's Constellations. Unsurprisingly, once, twice, three times in Ashling from uh, Emer McLeisett and Sarah Breen was at number two. But the biggest book voted for by my book club of 2019, Anne Griffin's When All Is Said. Coming up on the programme, Jan Carson is with us. Uh, the book, Paper, Scissors, Book Club in Belfast gets to interrogate you, Jan. What do you think? I am reasonably confident. I've been in to have a glass of wine with them, so if they say bad things, they'll be hell to pay after this. You literally know where they live. I do know okay, where they live, yeah. Fine. Uh, Aoife Barry has news on the programme this week and some of our lists of books for 2020. Yeah, I do. I have some books that I'm looking forward to for the coming year and one of them is going to be really interesting to talk about because it's written entirely without the letter O, which I believe is very unusual, but maybe was it that Yeah, yeah no, I think um, Georges Perec, the French writer, mm. did it in I think 1969, so I've never actually managed to finish it, but it's a very clever book. Excellent. So I'm excited about the idea of those challenges being set out at the start of writing. So and I have some much less challenging books for you. Uh, <laughs> we'll do that a little bit later on in the programme. Wexford author Owen Colfer has sold over 25 million copies of his books, including his incredibly popular Artemis Feld series. 2020 will see those characters coming to life on the big screen in a movie directed by Kenneth Branagh. It'll also mark the publication of Owen's first novel for adults. I went to visit him in his creative hub, The Shed, at the bottom of his garden. Owen, first things first, tell me a little bit about where we are. Well, we're in my office, oh, uh, or the architects would call it a writing space. I've wanted something like this for about 15 years, but I was finally able to get, find two guys to make it for me, and it's it really is beautiful. I mean, I absolutely love it. it, it it's amazing, and this is my, my first time in here. Maybe give us a little sense of it, because this is down the bottom of your garden. Yeah. Immediately above our heads, there is an angled mirror. The idea is that uh, we are very close to the sea. The mirror allows you to see the ocean. Um, now, I've only had that about three or four times. It's rare that you can do that. But in theory, if I go for a swim, Jackie could come out here and check I'm actually swimming and not gambling or something by, by looking at the roof. But it is, it's just amazing. and uh, You just feel like, I mean, I've, sometimes I actually feel like a proper writer when I'm out here. <laughs> I, I think this is one of the, the cleanest writing spaces I've, I've yeah. ever been in as well because oh, there are some shelves with editions of your own books on them yeah. and some other books as well. Uh, your desk is rigorously clean apart from yeah. the, the computer screen and you're overlooked by not one but two separate images of David Bowie. Is there a reason for that? Uh, well, Bowie is a big hero of mine so he would be like maybe Elvis was to the previous generation. My friend Tony Di Terlizzi who's a, an extremely well-known writer and illustrator from the States was putting out these prints and he, they were all gone before I found out about them and so then I just cravenly begged and he did one more for me and uh, he just put in the gold leaf but that's uh, how you know it's an original and uh, it's, it's a semper, semper mutantum I think which means always forever changing forever changing and that was Bowie's motto A kind of would almost apply to you and your yeah. career as well People say that but really if you dig down all I'm changing is genre uh, it's all about relationships 
between possibly wacky characters but I come from a, a large family of Irish boys and um, that was kind of how we grew up but everything was a bit mad in a good positive way I want to go back to Wexford because we're yeah. sitting in Dublin um, but obviously you're from Wexford you've lived in yeah. a lot of different places around the world but Wexford is somewhere that you still seem to continue to come back to not yeah. just personally but culturally as well yeah. because frequently you're there doing events you have yeah. plays that are brought there uh, you want to be part of the cultural life still yeah. in that part of the world is that important? I really like Wexford I think it is a real cultural hub I grew up inside that cultural hub where we were taught to believe that art was very very important uh, whether you were a singer or a writer or an actor or anything like that you could be all three and uh, even now Wexford is like this little principality that has its own really healthy local scene for for bands uh, for playwrights there's not many places where you could go down with a play as a young fella as I did at 21 and be given the local art centre for a week to put on your play with a very favourable deal on the door so it, you could put it on and not go into huge debt. I don't know if that's even possible really anymore, but I was able to do that, and Billy was Billy Roach was able to do that. Uh, you got people like Pierce Turner coming out of there, uh, the, the aforementioned Billy Roach, John Banville, Cobb Tobin was up the road, Larry Kerwin, Vonnie Banville, like there's all sorts of people, and now we have people like Cat Hogan coming out of there. Uh, so it's just this little hive of academic and intellectual activity um, so I get down there as much as I can because I really want to keep my finger on that pulse. What was it like growing up there then because I was reading amongst other things recently that your dad as well as a lot of yeah. other things that he did he did local historical tours. Yeah my dad was great at local history and he put it into the syllabus in school in, in primary school before it was in the syllabus so he kind of made a, made a little space for it and he, he wrote a local history book um, and he used to, He thought it was very, very important, uh, and especially from Wexford, because everyone came through Wexford. We were like the thoroughfare for invaders. Like they all came through, and I remember one year we did uh, when I was in my dad's class in fifth class, so it had been eleven. Uh, we were going into the St Patrick's Day parade. Now, up to that point, so this would have been nineteen seventy six. Uh, the St Patrick's Day parade was the scouts, the girl guides, and you know everyone just marched into some kind of woggle. But Dad said, well, we are going to build a Viking longship and we're all going to dress as Vikings and we're going to put that on the back of a lorry. And we're like, what? This is insane. This, But it it happened. And I remember standing there on the back of this longship and the people of Wexford had been stunned. For this to happen in 1976 was uh, uh, unheard of. And we were up there as Vikings and we knew even at the time this is one of those memories that you never, no one involved with this is ever going to lose this. I'm going to bring us back up to date by talking about the Fell Twins because yes. you're just back from uh, what seemed like an endless tour of the United States promoting the book. Yeah. Um, why come back to the Artemis Fell world after what, yeah. seven years since the last yeah, time? Yeah, I, I had it. I, I came when I finished Artemis Fell. I had this first chapter for the Fell Twins. I just felt I wasn't enthusiastic about it. I'd been in that world for nearly 20 years. Uh, so I just wanted to take a break. And I thought, I'll take a break for maybe two years and then I'll come back. Um, so I just kept the chapter back. I just held it back. 
before we finish, I have to ask you about your next book, despite the fact that it's not out until January 2020. Yeah. But I finished reading it on the train um, the other day. It's High Fire. It yeah. is a fantasy novel for adults. Yeah, you have to be careful how you say that. We do. Yeah. Tell us about Vern. Um, I was Vern is inspired in a roundabout way by uh, the Loch Ness Monster. I was very intrigued by the idea that there could be this mythological creature that was very misunderstood. And my friend Andrew and the artist of the illegal books, Giovanni Rigano, went, went to Loch Ness uh, to look for the monster. And uh, they didn't find her, obviously. But I love the idea that there's a monster up there going, I wish these guys would just stop looking for me. Uh, and I thought, where could that happen? And I came across the legend of the Honey Island monster in Louisiana. And the Honey Island monster legend says, and it's insane, that in the 1940s, a circus train crashed into the Louisiana bayou and a gorilla escaped and mated with an alligator and the Honey Island monster was born. Right. And there are guys who dedicated their lives to tracking down the Honey Island monster monster can you imagine if you were an actual monster and this was the backstory you'd been given how fed up you would be so you'd I, be less than happy you'd be less yeah. than happy so dad's a gorilla mom's an alligator and you know what am i so i thought what if this guy Vern, was the last dragon he's hiding out in louisiana swamps everything is great and then suddenly this legend springs up and he just detests that legend so i put a guy there um He's Lord Highfire of the Highfire Erie, but now he's just Wyvern or Vern for short. And he is not your typical noble dragon that you might be used to. He's more he's closer to maybe Homer Simpson the dragon. He likes his cable TV, likes his vodka. Yeah. So he's a little bit of a you know yeah, he's a little bit of a hooch, moonshine running guy, watch watching uh, listening to Flashdance soundtrack and I'm watching TV and I, I thought that might be an interesting character to to build on. So it's gone really well. We've got great reviews. Um, it's coming out in 2020, January. So I'm off on another interminable tour and then I'm retiring from that tour life. I think I've had enough. I find that impossible to believe. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, Owen Colford, thanks for having us in your lair. Thank you, Rick. The Foul Twins is published by HarperCollins and High Fire. Owen Colfer's first novel for adults is going to hit your bookshops at the end of January. For a longer version of that interview, it's available on our podcast. You'll find it wherever you subscribe to yours. We've been out and about asking you what you, our fellow book lovers, would recommend this week in our Read It Forwards. Have a listen. My name is Baz Eshmaoui, and the one book I would recommend is probably The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters. It's kind of like a good manual for you to navigate through life and, uh, and work out your mind and find positivity and understand other people. And it, it puts a positive spin on the world and understand how we are as human beings. It's a nice read. Hi there, I'm Esther Hold, and I highly recommend The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. The prose is so fluid and clear, it could be a contemporary story, and it's easy to forget it's set during the war. Five stars. I'm Eilish O'Carroll, 
and I'm reading This Is Going To Hurt by Adam Kay. I absolutely loved it. I, I know Adam, um, and this is kind of a real life ex-doctor surgeon who now is uh, a comedy writer. Um, just It's just a read, you won't be able to put it down. Very simple read, very funny, very real. And you can keep sending us your read it forwards. Record no more than 15 seconds of your review and then email it to bookshow at rte.ie. Belfast writer Jan Carson won the EU Prize for Literature for Ireland for her Belfast set novel, The Firestarters. It's set 16 years after The Troubles, tells the story of two remarkably different fathers. It was one of my favourite books of 2019. Jan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. It's lovely to be here. Um, Firestarters at the Book Club Choice this week. The BPS Book Club, they are the Book, Paper, Scissors uh, Book Club in Belfast. They're the ones that are going to be grilling you this week. And as you said, you've met them already before, so these questions better be good. Yes, they're of a very cosmopolitan bunch. They always have a glass of red wine with their book group. So obviously I was quite happy to attend that. <laughs> Seems sensible. Jan, um, tell us about the Firestarters. Well, first of all, it's a magic realist book. It's set in East Belfast during a particularly problematic summer with bonfires and parades. And it follows two fathers who have children who have potential to cause a lot of damage. And I'll leave it there so that you actually do go ahead and read it. And it does manage to walk that line between utter reality and magic realism as well. Was that important to you to get that right? I think so. I've been really interested in the kind of symbols associated with loyalist culture. And there is a kind of otherworldly, larger than life thing about some of them. The King Billy and his white horse, the red hand, these giant bonfires. And for me, they kind of straddle the otherworldly and the realist. So I wanted to set my book against that backdrop. Have you had readers maybe expecting it to be one thing or the other and then finding themselves confused in the middle when it turns out to be both? I think confused is, it, is maybe too strong. The The message I get back a lot is, I don't know what this is, but I really like it. So a lot of people, you know, they've not read Magic Realism before. Defined categorisation is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's a gateway drug to better Magic Realist writers than me. <laughs> Was there any particular reason why you wanted to write about two fathers in this to focus around the two the two main characters? I guess there's been a lot of writing, particularly recently, about the experience of being a mother. Um, and I think there's something very different about being a father. And also just in Belfast particularly, I mean, we have a real problem with men not talking about their emotions. And the really negative side of that is some of the mental health issues we're, we're coping with at the minute. But even in things like being able to talk to your child about how much you love them and care for them. And I wanted to explore that with the characters of Jonathan and Sammy. It's been an interesting couple of weeks in politics, both yeah. across the water and, and in Northern Ireland as well. Um, how do you feel at the moment about, about your identity? I think it's been quite a difficult year. I received my Irish passport in January and I wasn't expecting it to be such an emotional experience. I cried when it came through the door. I grew up in Ballymena in a very Protestant unionist household. But the whole process of Brexit has made me really radically think about where my identity lies and very much feel that I'm an Irish writer. I'm part of this community and I'm proud to be part of it. So that really makes me question all aspects of my, my identity at the minute. Has part of that been the nature of your acceptance, maybe on the festival circuit here as well? It's been a kind of different experience for you getting your book accepted here than in the mainland UK. Yeah, I think there's been such a warmth in the south of Ireland and such an openness to maybe learn about issues around unionism and loyalism that 
people aren't familiar with, but they'll say, I didn't know anything about this, but I'd love to learn a bit more. And I just have found that really humbling and really wonderful. And then I, I think also not to make anybody feel wonderful about themselves, but the community of writers here is really special and the people around the community of writers, the broadcasters and journalists and festival owners, and they just are so welcoming. Um, and I think that's something we should be really proud of, but also something we need to contend and hold on to. When I go to places like London and New York, the community just isn't as warm and accepting and genuinely happy for other people's successes. Okay, let's get into the readers' community. Uh, we're going to hand over to the Don't care BPS. about the readers at all, right? <laughs> none Rick. of those. Not, not at all. Let's check out the BPS uh, book club and let's find out, first of all, what they thought of the book. Certainly one of the most original novels that I've read about Northern Ireland. Um, particularly uh, enjoyed the use of language, uh, the description early on of the city, which, which we're told is, is not Belfast, but uh, which clearly um, is recognisable as being so... Um, yeah, just just a wonderful read. We are presented with a very serious and somewhat dark story concerning Sammy, his troubled past and the present in which he fears it is his son behind recent tension and violence in the city. Then also we have Jonathan's story, which deals with the magical and fantastical elements. I really like the humour injected through some of the unfortunate children vignettes, particularly the girl who turned everything into Christmas. Yeah, well, I was really taken with the, the two characters, the two characters being male, uh, unusual, I thought, um, both of them fathers. Uh, Sammy, ridden by guilt from his past paramilitary days. Jonathan, uh, abandoned by his parents, unable to love. However, the characters come together in a sort of way in that they share the burden of parenthood. They seem to like that very much. That is very reassuring. They seem to have really enjoyed the book. But now comes the point where they get to question your question. Uh, one comes from Moira. There's two very different experiences of parenthood described in the book, um, both through the eyes of fathers. Was this a conscious decision from your point of view to tell these stories from the male point of view? Yeah, and we've kind of spoken about this a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, I also, it's one of the criticisms I get quite often as a writer that I don't often write in a woman's voice. And I don't know what's wrong with me, but I find it much, much easier to write from a male perspective. Um, I have to consciously try and come up with characters who are women. I think some of it is from a lot of my community arts practice has been working particularly with older men in things like men's sheds. And I find them fascinating and really complex um, to unpick and they're not often um, explored emotionally. So perhaps that's why I'm drawn to them. OK, our second question is from Matthew. Was your initial plan to write a magical realist story or a story about Belfast? I'm afraid that I am a magic realist through and through and I really struggle to just keep to one reality. So my first take for anything is always to begin with kind of a fantastical exploration of the theme. Um, the realism always has to be there in a really strong way. You cannot be a magic realist if, you're, if your realistic writing isn't believable. So I do spend a lot of time working on the realism, but the fantastical is what really appeals to me. OK, our final question from the book club comes from Mary. The Unfortunate Children of East Belfast. What was your purpose in putting them into the, into the novel? 
I think with the unfortunate children, I really want to, to explore the legacy of the conflict in the next generation. And each of them is kind of a metaphor for some of the, the different issues that we're seeing appearing in young people who maybe weren't even born until after the peace process. But things like, you know, an inability to settle and having to carry things that are too heavy for them and being asked to be more than, than they're actually capable of. Um, so I I think they're they're kind of allegories for some of the issues that I've seen in the community projects that I've worked in. Jan Carson, thank you so much for coming onto the book show. Thank you for having me. Jan Carson's The Fire Starters is published by Trans World. And if your book club would like to get involved, we would love to hear from you. You can email bookshow at rte.ie. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and what the next book is you'll be reading. Aoife Barry is here now for our weekly roundup of book news and events. So, uh, yeah, I have some book news um, for you. And then I think we're also going to go through a list of some books that we're really looking forward to reading. We have long lists. Let's see how many of them we can get in. Yeah, we can get exactly. I'll kick off with some book news. So Mountains to Sea, which is a book book festival that is on every year in March. This year it's on from the 26th to the 29th of March. They basically announced that their tickets are now for sale. So if you head to paviliontheatre.ie, you can pick up your tickets there. But I was so impressed with the list of people they already have We've got Peggy Seeger. She's in conversation with a bit of music as well, of course, naturally, on the 28th of March. Curtis Sittenfeld is going to be visiting as well on the 26th of March. I'd say tickets would sell out very quickly for that particular one. And another one that's definitely going to sell out very quickly, Anne Enright and Marion Richardson are going to be in conversation on the 28th of March. So that's all around the DLR Lexicon Library in Dunleary. It's always a really nice festival. That's Mountains to See and PavilionTheatre.ie is where I you get those I think there's tickets. one to keep an eye out for, mainly because it's one of my favourite books of the year, which is Niall Williams' uh, the author of This Is Happiness is doing an event with Mike Hanrahan from Stockton's Wing where there will be music and there will be the words and they are being combined in some way. It's all still in the elemental stages apparently but I think it's worth keeping a look at. Sounds really good and Colin McCann is also going to be one of the people that's going to be there. So lots of very big names they've got booked in. Now the next news item that I have is a bit more of a reminder for people to book their tickets to go see this film. Um, People who are fans of the classic novel Little Women will obviously know that there's going to be a film adaptation coming out. It's coming out on the 26th of December. It's going to be so huge because it's getting great reviews. Um, It is directed by Greta Gerwig. It's got a huge cast in it. You've got Meryl Streep, Saoirse Ronan who's obviously nominated for Golden Globe Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, everybody So 26th of December when you're finished You've your Christmas dinner. You've left Timothy Chalamet out of that Timothy list Chalamet. I think How could I leave him out indeed? Um, yes he's going to be in that. I think a lot of people are excited about his role in it. Um, this is I think the fourth adaptation for the screen for it so Catherine Hepburn, Elizabeth Taylor, Winona Ryder they've all been in different adaptations so I can't wait to watch this because I loved this book when I was a young girl and I really loved the character of Joe. I think a lot of young people really identify with her. Okay 2020 as we have uh, maybe discussed before is one of those years in which you are going to be engulfed by incredible books and that's just the first maybe three, four months. You have a list, I have a list. I'm going to suggest maybe at the very beginning very quickly Owen Colfer who was on the show earlier on. I was talking to him about High Fire. It's very much worth your time. It's great fun. It's enormous. It is the sort of fun I did not think I would have with a foul-mouthed dragon who <laughs> drinks a load of vodka over the course of the couple of hundred pages of the book. It does need a bit of crack though, foul-mouthed dragon. Hugely. Yeah, um, with that. Also Mark O'Connell the author of To Be a Machine from a couple of years ago his book about transhumanism his book is called Notes from an Apocalypse and he goes and visits parts of the world where amongst other things people are prepping for the end of the world I think that one's going to be well worth the read Mark O'Connell's writing is always just stellar it's so amazing um, so my first pick is Una which I mentioned at the top of the show it's a book written by Alice Lyons it's being published by Lilliput Press and it's written entirely without the letter O and I just love the idea of how tricky it must be to write a book without the letter O um, it's about a young woman and she is kind of an artist and it's about suburban culture first generation immigrants 
Prince in New Jersey. It's set during the Celtic Tiger. There's an Irish um, element to it too. So it's going to be like a study about a character and it's all done without O and I'm very intrigued about that. And then Emily St. John Mandel has her latest book out, The Glass Hotel. And it's basically about a, a dastardly Ponzi scheme and a woman who goes missing at sea. Never thought I'd see the two of those things in one book, but sure, there you go. Should be great. And entirely unlike her first book, uh, Station Eleven. Which is just which a fantastic amazing. dystopian novel. It's just, yeah. yeah, get your hands on that if you haven't read it already. And for my next choice, we were talking about magic realism with the wonderful Jan Carson earlier in the show. And this author is considered a queen of magic realism in many ways. Isabel Allende has got a new book coming out. A lot of people will be very excited to hear this. It's going to be called A Long Petal of the Sea. It's set in the late 1930s while civil war is gripping Spain. And it sounds very interesting indeed. Uh, Liz Nugent has a book out this year, which is for many people the highlight of any year that there is a Liz Nugent book out. It's called Their Little Cruelties. Uh, three brothers were at a funeral. One was lying in the coffin. Wow. That uh, Liz knows how to set up a book. And that's, <laughs> I, I try to read as little as possible about books before I actually dive into them. I don't really need to read anything uh, about that. My next book is Actress by Anne Enright which again is just a hugely anticipated book. It's a, the story of an Irish theatre legend Catherine O'Dell who didn't exist in real life and it's written by her daughter Nora and it's all about mothers and daughters celebrity, fame, theatre. It's set in Ireland in the 1970s but you also get some post-war, um, post-war America in there too. It's Anne Enright. It's going to be incredible. Thanks Aoife. We'll see you in the new year. Thank you. That's it for this week. Don't forget to join us for an hour-long special on Christmas Day at 5pm here on RTV Radio 1 with music, reading and some of the most successful Irish authors of 2019, including our poll toppers from earlier on, Anne Griffin and Sarah Breen and Emer McLeisa. Joe Duffy will be part of the show, so will Stephen Ray. There are guests galore, five o'clock on Christmas Day here on RTE Radio 1. The book show is available as a podcast. You'll find us where you subscribe to yours. You can also find out more book news during the week at rte.ie slash culture and you can chat about books. Search The Ricochet Book Club in Facebook. The Book Show is produced for RTE Radio 1 by Ojo Productions.